All right, for this hour, we continue our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is part, what, 13, 12, 12, 13? I can't remember. I don't remember what we called the last part. Whatever, hopefully I gave it the right number. Okay, I'll look here in a second, make sure. Sometimes I'll give it the same number, and then when I get home, I'm going like, wait a minute, we've got three part 13s. How did that happen? Okay, let me look here. I'll make sure so that I can remind myself that I need to correct it. Let me look here. No, uh, no, part 12. This is part 12, so I did name it correct. All right, part 12 in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to review everything that we've been talking about because, well, there's hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of teaching online of everything we've done with the Holy Spirit, so I can't catch everyone up, but I will start here. This morning, what we are doing in our study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we are looking at the various ministries of the Holy Spirit according to a book I used in seminary. We don't necessarily agree with everything in it, but I'm trying to make sure that you hear as many different perspectives on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as I can possibly provide you so that you have a, hopefully, a well-rounded understanding of all the different perspectives, all right? But the various ministries of the Holy Spirit, and the first one we looked at during the first hour was the ministry concerning the universe. And we had some serious issues with some of the verses that they quoted. We the, Basically, the conclusion we came to is many of the verses they cited don't really We can't say dogmatically they say what they claim they say, but we can say this, that the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity and God obviously is creator, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation and obviously some way, shape, or form, or capacity. Genesis 1-2 seems to be the best, maybe the best verse to use for that because most translations seem to be in agreement that that is referencing the Spirit and not just wind or breath. So that's, that's the main one we went with, all right? So we talked about that. Then we started talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the Scriptures. The ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning Scriptures. And as soon as we say that, we know the three different aspects that everyone talks about, because this is Christianity 101. This is stuff everyone should know. I made the joke that every Christian gets this tattoo on them the minute they become saved. It's that common, all right? That there are three aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry in regards to Scripture. And they are revelation, inspiration, and illumination. All right? That's what everyone claims. Now, we don't have any problem with revelation. How do we basically understand revelation? God revealing something we wouldn't know without that revelation. Okay? God revealing something. And what do we believe about revelation? It has ceased. Any church that believes God is still giving revelation, I I, I make no apology for this, and I don't care who gets offended, is to me apostate and you should not attend. And that means that's about 97% of evangelicalism because even though they say they don't believe in revelation, they turn around and say what over and over and over and over and over again. God told me, God said this to me, God spoke to me, God told me this, God told me that, God told me this. But then they'll turn around and say, but I don't believe God has given revelation. Well, if you don't believe God has given revelation, then how is he talking to you? Because if he's talking to you, that by definition would be revelation. All right. So it just drives me crazy. Churches that they say, oh, we, no, we don't believe Revelation it continues. We believe it ceased with the scriptures. And then they'll say, you know, I, 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 was, I gave the illustration. You know, someone will say, I was having a fight with my wife. And I was in the other room. And all of a sudden, I felt God tell me, 
you need to go back and apologize. And I'm like, so God told you that. God just spoke to you. That, that's great. So why do you even need? Why do you need the Bible? Because if God is speaking to you and God is speaking to me, I'm assuming the sermon he gives you will be better than the sermon I can preach. Okay, everyone should say amen right there. Okay, everyone should say amen. Right? His sermon would be better than what I can preach, yes? His theology will be better than the theology I can teach. His exegesis of the scripture will be better than mine. And isn't it weird that the people who say God talks to them will then stand behind a pulpit to preach and you're like, God talks to you and that's your interpretation of that text? That's what you think the Greek word means when I'm looking right here at the uh, interlinear going, that's not what the Greek word means, but God's talking to you. Nah, I'm not, no, I'm not. If God is going to talk to you, I'm assuming the first thing he would correct is all of our misunderstanding about his... But isn't it amazing that you can have a Presbyterian claiming God talks to them and you can have a Baptist and who claims God is talking to them and for some weird reason God doesn't cha- uh, fix the baptism, ba- baptism disagreement, right? When he could, could he fix that in just five seconds? Hey guys, this is the correct mode of baptism. Problem solved. Hey, this is the correct view of Lord's Supper. Problem solved. This is the correct view of salvation. Problem solved. So how many churches would we have? So if God's t- but God, God doesn't fix theology. What he tells you is who you should marry, what car you should buy, and where you should move. Yeah, and you're like, don't you see the narcissism in that? God talks to me about what I need or what I want. I, 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 no, listen. I wish God talked to me. I could understand a lot of things, right? It, wouldn't it be great? If I had a direct line with the all-knowing creator of the universe, he could give me, there's so many, it would be, I could just, I could understand so many different things. But it doesn't work that way. So when Christians say that, any Christian who says that doesn't believe revelation has ceased. I don't care what they claim, they don't believe it ceased. And you know that that's common language probably amongst Christian friends you have who say, God told me this, God told me that, and it's just... I'm just like, look, I don't know what Christianity you're a part of, but it's not my Christianity. And I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it. I'm just, I'm done. I just don't want any part of it. Because, and, and again, they don't even know how to respond when you say, well, God told me he's not talking to you. <laughs> they, they don't know it. They're like, uh, uh, okay. No, God told me he's not talking to you. You're, you're, you're talking to yourself. And well, then they don't know what to say. Right, but I just I completely reject that. I know that makes people mad, but I'm sorry. I, I I'm I'm just I'm tired of that teaching. I'm tired of that teaching. So that's revelation. And then what's inspiration? We talked a little. We just review. Inspiration is the process by whereby the Holy Spirit basically guided the human authors of this book to do what? To write down the words. And what do we believe about the the inspired? We believe every word is inspired. Every word is inerrant, infallible, verbal. We talk about verbal or plenary inspiration of the Bible. That's what we believe we have. This is it. This is what you have. 
Revelation. Now, he get, before, the camp, before the Bible was closed, he did speak to people in all kinds of different ways. He did reveal things. Because they didn't have this, and that revealing was important to ultimately give us this. Inspiration was the process to guide the writing of this. Once this was closed, the previous stopped. Does everybody understand that? Now, that brings us to the third one, where there is much dispute and, well, I take that back. There's no dispute amongst most evangelicals. I'm one of the few who disagree, all right? And that is the, what they call illumination. Now, you've probably, again, I don't, if you haven't heard these three things, I don't know where you've been, because these three things have talked about in every Christian book, every, this is like Discipleship 101, okay? But illumination, I don't know what you've heard about it, but it basically goes something like this, okay? When I read the Bible, God illuminates my mind so that I understand. He gives me understanding of it. He turns the light on so that it makes sense to me. This is the claim Christians make. Now, when we make that claim, what are we asserting? We're making a very, we're making a very arrogant claim, right? So I keep picking on Lydia, but I'll keep picking on her. If Lydia is the unsaved person, we talked about this in Sunday school, and I'm the saved person, and we start talking about the Bible, and the minute she disagrees, I can say, I have the Holy Spirit, he illuminates my mind, so my understanding is better than your understanding. Now, we may not say it that way, but that's what we think. Because if she doesn't have the Holy Spirit... But guess what? I've met too many non-Christians who can understand the Bible far better than many Christians. Which is embarrassing, but it's just true. I mean, we've, had, we've got 2,000 years of church history of Christians who are supposedly illuminated trying to interpret the Bible. Right? 2,000 years. Is there any agreement? Is there, is there agreement on baptism, Lord's Supper, church structure, how we should preach? No. Um, salvation? No. you got disagreement between the Augustinian view, the Pelagian view, Arminianism. You've got, you got, got all kinds of disagreements on that, right? we got, we got disagreements on everything. I mean, we just... just I mean, all I could do, I can open up a verse right now and say, here's my interpretation and give it a couple of minutes and probably someone in here is going to say, nope, I disagree. Right? That's how it happens. It happens all the time. It's the way it works. But if, if God's giving us illumination, why should we ever come to disagreement? It, it, it doesn't work. I know this. No matter how many Bible colleges I attended or seminaries I attended, when I take, took those tests, I didn't just get illumination and all of a sudden could answer those questions. Guess what I had to do prior to the test? And it's amazing how that works. All right? But illumination. Now, a lot of people have different... Remember how they defined illumination, which is kind of odd, but I, I, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to deviate a little bit and look at a different definition. But they say the process whereby the Holy Spirit takes the written word when it is preached and read and enlighten those human ears who will hear it. So the idea is when it's preached or read, then the Holy Spirit opens your eyes so that you can understand it. Now, the only problem with that is, doesn't that happen with anything that is read or taught? 
You go to school and they teach something like, oh, oh I, I didn't know that concept or I didn't know that word or I didn't know that mathematical formula or I didn't know that's where that punctuation goes or I didn't know that that's the correct way to state that or I didn't know that happened in 1843 or, or whatever the case. You, I mean, it illuminate this idea of learning. It's just called learning. Okay? That's what it's called, right? It's just called, and it's weird. Christians, we always, remember Christians love to always give some spiritualized word to the most common things we do, Right? Two people get together and eat. We call it fellowship. Where other people just call it eating. Right? We have a picnic and we call it fellowship. While others just call it a picnic. Right? Two Christian men go watch a football game. Fellowship. Other people just call it watching a football game. Right? When, when lost people learn something, they just call it Learning, we call it illumination. Okay, I think that sometimes that stuff drives me crazy. We, we had to make everything we do sound so spiritual, so spiritual. Hey, we're not going to have church tonight because we're going to have a potluck. It's going to be a sweet time of fellowship. Or it's just going to be a sweet time of you putting food in your throat, right? I mean, like... Why can't we, but we, but it, we can't say that, right? We can't say that. No, 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 no. It's something, something of great spiritual value is going to occur, right? I'll never forget when some, the men of the, some of the men of the church wanted to have a camp out. And I got the email, hey, we got to have a camp out. And they're like, this could be the most important thing the church ever does. I'm like, the most important thing this church is ever going to do is going to be a camp out for men? Really? And of course, if you probably remember the controversy that occurred because I didn't show up. And everybody was mad because I didn't show up at a camp out. You know, now maybe I should have went. Maybe I was young, but I did, you know, I also had, I don't know, like I was working to a job called, you know, full time and was a pastor and I don't know. I had other things to do other than a camp out. But, but the point was the camp out was elevated like it, it's spiritual. No, it's a, called a camp out. For some weird reason, you're leaving your home that has climate control to go outside. I don't know why anyone would do that, but okay. But there's nothing spiritual in doing that. I can watch nature from my couch in 4K. Right? Okay? But isn't it weird how Christians, we, we make everything some spiritual. I don't know what we, I, does it make us feel like we're better than everyone else? You guys hang out. We have fellowship. You guys eat, we have fellowship. You guys camp, we have fellowship. I don't even understand, like, what, why do we do, does anybody know why we do that? So I, when you say illumination that way, to me that just sounds like learning. You come to church, I teach, hopefully you learn. I'm not going to say, a lot of illuminating was happening today. Right? But, but I bet you there's been times you've said in church, you learn something, and then later you determine that you did not believe it or believe it's false. So was that illuminating happening then? Or was it happening now? Huh. I don't know. Does, it, does anybody know? Which one was the illuminate? Because I bet you you called the previous one illumination. So if the first one wasn't illumination, then what was the second one? Does anybody... Ah, oh, nobody, nobody raises those kinds of questions. Of course, you know, I'm going to do so. So how do we understand illumination? Let's listen to, a, uh, let's not listen. Let's look and consider a different definition and see what they have to say. All right? 
I, because I look, I wish illuminating, illumination was happening the way Christians claim. But here's what they say. It's an article called, What is the Biblical Doctrine of Illumination? Now, if I gave everyone a blank sheet of paper, could you write down a paragraph of what is the doctrine of biblical illumination? Don't know. Let's see what they say. Simply put, oh, I like that. Illumination is the spiritual sense, in the spiritual sense, is the turning on the light of understanding in some area. So, it's when all of a sudden the light comes on and you understand. Now again, I just refer to that as learning. They refer to it as illumination. They go on to say, throughout the ages, people in every culture and religion have claimed some kind of revelation or enlightenment from God, whether true or not. Let's make it clear. Every religion claims this. Every religion. God opened my eyes and I saw the truth of Islam. Or God opened my eyes and I saw the truth of Mormonism. Or God, everyone claims it. So our claim of it is no different than any other claim. And why do you think, why do you think this is so built into religion? There you go. What better way to prove your opinion than your opinion was given to you by God? I try, I try to use this in arguments with Stacy. It doesn't work. I'm like, God just gave me illumination and you're wrong. And for some reason, and if I, get, if I tell you guys, hey, God gave me illumination, you're wrong. It doesn't seem to work on you guys either. Because you would claim what? God eliminated. How does it work when two Christians both supposedly have illumination come to two different conclusions? Now it makes perfect sense if we don't call it illumination, we call it what? Learning. Two people can learn and come to different conclusions and you either have to go, either the information was wrong or the way you learned it was wrong or your understanding was wrong. There's, there's logical ways of explaining that, yes? But once you pull it, bring God into it, it becomes very problematic, does it not? I would say it becomes problematic. Let's see what else they go with this. Let's see where they, else they go with this. When that enlightenment deals with new knowledge or future things, we call it prophecy. And what do we believe about God giving knowledge about future things or prophetic things? We believe that has ceased. And where is it found today? In Scripture. All right? So we, we would, they go, they go on. When that enlightenment deals with understanding and applying knowledge already given, we call it illumination. All right, so we'll hear that again. When that enlightenment deals with understanding and applying knowledge already given, so in this particular case, we have scripture. This is knowledge already given, right? This is revelation already given. Then it was inspired to be written down. So here is true knowledge. And they says, now when we're given illumination, or what was the exact word they used? When we are given, I want to make sure I don't use this. When we're giving understanding, 
and applying the knowledge already given, it's illumination. So when we get understanding and we know how to apply it, that's illumination. Now, again, I've seen Christians apply, let's see if I can think of a verse. Oh, wait, I know the plans I have for you. The plans to bless you. Book of Jeremiah. You know how many Christians I see apply that to what? To graduation or their life. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with the promise God made to whom? Those coming out of Babylonian captivity. Unless you are in Babylonian captivity, that verse isn't for you. But they would claim that, well, that they're applying it. Well, if God's giving illumination, why are they applying it in an incorrect way? So why would we say they're applying it in an incorrect way? Because their lack of understanding of biblical hermeneutics and biblical interpretation. It just comes down to that. Right? There's nothing, there's nothing mysterious or supernatural going on. You as a human being, God has given his revelation in a written form. And how do you understand something in a written form? With the same rules you read any other book. Words have meaning, words are in context, you have to understand who is speaking, when they're speaking, what's going on, what's happening. It's, there's nothing, why Christians so mystify the whole process? It's like, I, I didn't understand the verse, and then I prayed about it. And then what happened? Oh, all of a sudden I got understanding. Oh, I bet you did, all right, yeah. Yeah, I bet you did. It, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. And now I'm going to get 900 emails with people disagreeing. I wish it worked this way. They go on to say, regarding illumination of the latter type, the question arises, how does God do it? So how does God give us this knowledge? How does God give us this ability to apply the scriptures? How does he do it? And, and who is always accredited with this ministry? Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit supposedly dwells where? Within us, right? So the Holy Spirit is in us. So we have an interpreter or an illuminator, we could say, inside of us that is to illuminate our study of the scriptures. And that person who is supposedly doing it is the third person of the Trinity, deity, God, who is all-knowing. And so therefore, you become, you see where, how, how dangerous this starts becoming? Because then you would start thinking that what about your interpretation? I mean, if God's the one opening my eyes, if God is the one doing it, then I should be, I mean, how dare you ever question my interpretation? So what we, think about it this way. In some ways, this is what the Protestant Reformation did. No, Pope, you don't have that ability. I do. The Pope doesn't have, the, the magisterium doesn't have the authority. I have the authority. So in some ways, all the Protestant Reformation did is remove the infallible dogmatic authority of the church and gave it to the individual. And, and that's called the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not saying that's what was intended to happen, but it's what happened. I think, I think if Luther could look today, he'd probably be like, what happened here? What, what, what? No, 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 you people are all insane. Well, Luther would probably say some cuss words in the midst of it, okay, because he had, he had some issues there. But he would, he would probably be like, what happened? 
How did I end up here? How did it end up here? Well, you removed it from the church and you gave it to the individual and the individuals ran with it. And we're still running with it, are we not? Now, this first, now this one is interesting. All right, here we go. The most basic level of enlightenment is the knowledge of sin. And without that knowledge, everything else is pointless. Psalm 1828 says, you, you, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Now, they quote Psalm 1828. What's the problem here? What's the problem with quoting Psalm 1828? Everybody go look at Psalm 18 really quick. I mean, you should already know the answer without looking at Psalm 18. I'm just trying to give you some extra time to come up with an answer. Okay. Okay. Eighteen. Does it give us a title or anything about the psalm? Psalm of David. Okay. Now let's go. Let's just think this through. This is the book of Psalms. What time period are we in? One. Do we have a completed canon? Oh, so God is still speaking and revealing. Remember, we've already said that that ceased with the complete of the scripture. What else do we have going on here with David? What kind of government is being operated at this time? A theocratic monarchy? Well, David is a king. God is guiding and directing and revealing, right? So in a sense, a theocratic monarchy. You've got two concepts going on, right? God is literally speaking to David, does he not? God literally speaks to him, reveals things to him. So quoting Psalm 18 about something God is doing today is massively problematic from just any basic understanding. But I'm assuming the people who wrote this article probably believe that they're they're being illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, but no, I, I don't know why. And not only that, does this verse really give us much information? David speaks and says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Does does that give you some... What does that mean? Like, does that prove what they just said? Uh, Does does that prove anything? Do we even know exactly what David is referring to there? Now, David may be given information that turns his darkness into light because he was given a lot of direct information, was he not? A lot, because, oh wait, what was David used to do? See, I'm trying to think about it. What was it called? Write scripture! (laughs) Yeah, right here! (laughs) So, that puts David in a different category than me. Yes? But if God is speaking to you, Literally, you could write it down and guess what it would be? It would be scripture. They go to another another verse. They go to Psalm 119. Oh, I knew that I knew we were going to get to this one. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Would everyone agree? And I think most of us would agree that Psalm 119, its major subject. Almost every verse is about what? Oh, God's word. Hmm, interesting. Okay, let's see what they say here. 
They say Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is a song about God's word. And verse 130, what does verse 130 say? Psalm 119, 130. One thirty. What do you find? Yes, no, Psalm 119 is Psalm 119, verse 130. Yeah. The entrance of thy word giveth light. What does that have to do with illumination? What is, what, according to that, what gives us illumination? God's word. How does God's word give us illumination? What do I have in my hands? Does anyone believe this is inspired by God? No, we don't. If I give this to anyone and say, open up something and read it, what happens? What, what, what does that verse say? Psalm 119, 130? Giveth understanding. Would this give understanding? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Eli is simple, but would this give understanding to him? Right? Yes? Anything we read gives us, according to that psalm, what gives us understanding. Because, so in other words, it does what? What anything that has written words in it. I read it and it gives understanding. How is that an argument for illumination? That's just an argument that the Bible contains words, and when I read said words, I get understanding. Once again, what's, what's the, there, there's a disease within Christianity. We've got to make everything what? Somehow mysterious or more spiritual than it is. I read and I get understanding. I read, let's say you don't know anything. You open a Bible and you read these words. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Let's say you didn't know anything. When you read that word, what just happened? What understanding did you get from Genesis 1-1? Number one, God was at the beginning. So he, pre, he pre-existed before that beginning. Right? You may not be able to determine that he's eternal, but you will determine that he existed prior to whatever beginning he's getting ready to talk about. Yes? So in the beginning, God. Second thing you would know, oh, there's a God in the beginning. God, right? In the beginning and in God. So God's at the beginning and, well, there's a God. So there's two things I just got to understand. In the beginning, God. Oh, wait. So in the beginning, God. God God is the one who created everything. And what did he create? Heaven and earth. I get, that's just basic understanding. That that didn't require seminary. The first two, the first words are in the beginning. Okay, in the beginning. So I'm at the beginning. Next word. Okay, God's there, so I know God's there at the beginning, so I learn a, bit, a little bit about God. Created, oh, so God is the one who creates, so not, I, everything I see is not here by an accident. God created. I don't know anything about this God, but I at least know this, and I know what did he create. There we go. Oh, you, you would get the implication of power. Yes, clearly. In other words, you could start gaining some information. Does it require the Holy Spirit to do that? Does it, all it requires is what? Reading. Everyone say it with me. Reading. Comprehension. Reading. Remember the reading comprehension tests you get in school? Which I'll never understand why people had problems with them, okay? Right? 
First of all, you don't read it. You just skim it. You just read the question, look, skim, find the answer, and write the answer. People's like, what are you doing? Look at the, there, read, there, there, there. I'd be done with those on five seconds. I'm like, people like, 30, I'm like, what is wrong with all of you? Don't read it. Skim it. What are you doing? Okay, right. But, so in that case, I don't know how much actual comprehension it, it, actually what it's testing is your ability to find an answer and emit a bunch of words. Okay, that's what it really, it's all it's really test. But that's a whole different problem, okay? All right, now kids are going to get wrong ideas going, okay, oh, and now I know how to pass these tests, right? But that's, that's how you pass the test. Okay, but the point is, reading comprehension. That verse is not saying, this is some mysterious work of God. You read the Bible, and then boom! Understanding! No, it means that God's word brings understanding because, well, it contains what? Information. And whenever I read information, I gain understanding. Is this complicated? So far, it's not complicated. Let's see see where they're going to go. Let's see where they're going to go, all right? We're going to get some kind of supernatural information here, all right? Oh, wait, we're reading an article. What are we doing? Oh, we're getting understanding on their perspective. And it didn't even require the Holy Spirit, does it? No. Okay, all right. Let's keep going. I'm, 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 people online are going to get all mad at me, but okay. All right, now, so, regu- uh, so they go on to say, that was 130. This verse, now this say, this verse establishes the basic method of God's illumination. When God's word enters the heart of a person, it gives light and understanding to them. Okay. That's just, that happens in any book you read. I, I don't understand why this is so weird. Like, I'm reading your article. Your article enters into my mind. They say heart. And then guess what? I gain an understanding that you're saying things about verses that I don't believe they actually say. Let, let, let's, let's see where else they go here. Are you ready? Um, when God's word, okay, um, When God's word enters the heart of a person, it gives light and understanding to them. For this reason, we are repeatedly told to look at Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11. Everybody knows this verse, right? Okay, I don't, what is... What does this have to do with some supernatural? I hide God's word in my heart and, I, and this helps me stop sinning. Why? Because God's word tells me what I can and can't do. So for me now to go do what I know I'm not supposed to do, I have to go against that knowledge. I still may sin, but at least I have something there saying, don't do that, don't do that. Like I may see, don't trespass sign. I still may trespass, but at least I know that I'm getting ready to trespass, right? Or in Texas, get shot, right? Okay, right. Okay. Where, wherever the case may be, right? That's, but that doesn't have any, that doesn't have anything to do with illumination, right? That just, I don't, what, what, why are they making this so complicated? They go on to say, look at verse 98 and 99. Verse 98 and 99 of Psalm 119. Tell me what you find. What do you find? Well, 
more insight than my, uh, all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. It's just once again stating that what gives us understanding? God's word gives us understanding. God's word gives us understanding. There's nothing, there's no, I don't know what this, I don't know what this even proves. This just proves that if I read the Bible, I get knowledge. If I read the Bible, I get understanding. Now, what would we believe about the knowledge and understanding we gain from Scripture? We would believe it's superior knowledge and understanding than from any other source because it's God's word. But there's nothing supernatural taking place here. This is just normal learning. Yeah, there's no spiritual anything going on here. Now, the next verse is where they may, they may have an argument. They may have an argument in the next verse, okay? But so far, these, they haven't proven anything, right? But let's see what they say next. I know where they're headed. It's wherever, because right now there's people on the internet typing this out to me in an email, okay? So, so just calm down. We'll, we'll, we're going to get there, okay? So you can just save your email. All right, here we go. All right, everybody ready? Psalm 119. Verse 18. This is the one everyone goes to. Psalm 119, verse 18. This is the go-to verse. That I may behold. All right. Now, guess what the concept is? And this is what I was taught. I mean, I'm assuming you were probably taught this in discipleship as well. Before you ever read your Bible, you pray that God will open your eyes because if God doesn't open your eyes, you can't see what's here. And if you're not a Christian, God doesn't open your eyes to it unless maybe just bring you to salvation. But it's a closed book to the unbeliever, but it's an open book to us because we have the Holy Spirit and he opens our eyes. Okay, illuminates us. This is really where the verse, the concept derives from. Sounds good, does it? Once again, it sounds good. Remember, so many claims about the Holy Spirit sounds good. The problem, there's going to be lots of problems. So let's do a couple. First, let's read everything they have to say about it. And then we're going to see what we can, what we can figure out. I, I'm not saying there's an easy answer, but we're going, to, we're going to work on it. All right. This is what they say. Regular study of the word of God will give direction and understanding and the issues of life. Nobody would have a problem with that, right? It has nothing to do with some supernatural thing other than we're studying a supernatural book, which will give us understanding because it's God's truth. This is the first method of God's illumination and the starting point for us all. Okay, no problem there. Now, in Psalm 119, we also find another type of God's illumination. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, listen to what they say. These are not new revelations, but things which have been written and revealed long before and just now understood by the reader. This is one of those aha moments. All right. Before, before we read any further, all right, what's, what's the problem with this possible concept? Well, once again, if God is opening our eyes, so that we can have the aha moment. We've got 2,000 years of church history of people studying what? Scripture. 
We can get in a car right now. We can start driving around to churches who claim that the Spirit gives them those aha moments. And we'll find some of those churches, they may be sprinkling a baby right now and saying, hey, this baby just became a Christian because the water... Or they may claim, nope, he's not, uh, this, the water didn't save him, but now he's a member of the congregation, or whatever the case may be. They're going to believe sprinkling, or they're going to believe baptizing a baby. Well, wait a minute. Where, if God is opening their eyes, how come he didn't open their eyes to see that that's not right? Or how come he didn't open our eyes to see that our view of baptism is wrong? You see, it's, it preaches good, right? Whenever you get ready to read your Bible, you pray and God's going to open your eyes and you're going to see the things in God's word that is true. And you're like, oh, preach it, brother. Maybe write that down. Oh, that sounds good. And you go home and you pray and you pray and you're, you're like, okay, oh, I, I've got understanding. Well, now, again, if you claim that understanding came from God, what are you claiming about your understanding? Indirectly, you're claiming that it's infallible. I wish it was true. But, I mean, if you want to challenge it, you grab a piece of paper, you grab a Bible, I'll give you the scripture to go work on. Everyone breaks off in different parts of the churches. You pray, pray Psalm 119. What verse is that? Is that 18? Psalm 119, 18. You pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. And then you come back. And guess what I'm going to probably find? Either some heretical things, Sorry, but probably, okay, possibly, all right? Or I guess what I'm going to find? Probably some massive disagreements. So am I going to have to determine, I don't think the Holy Spirit's in that back classroom. But the middle classroom, I think the Holy Spirit was there. That, that wasn't up close to the nursery. I don't know what was going on there. Okay, would, would, nobody would want to say that, right? So then how do we understand the aha moments? I don't know. I don't don't have a good answer. What what are some things I do know about this verse? Psalm 19. Do we know anything about Psalm 119? I I said Psalm 19. What do we know about Psalm 119? Do we know anything about it? Do we know who the author is? We don't have a, a, a definition. But what do we do know about Psalm 119? When is it being written? Before Scripture is completed, right? Is God given special revelation at this time? Absolutely, right? We do agree. Is God given special revelation in Genesis? Yes. Is he giving special, special revelation in Exodus? Yes. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Can I just continue going through all the Old Testament? So do we have to at least take that into consideration? I think we have to at least take it into consideration. Has to. Right? And the one writing that, hey, open my eyes to the wonderful things in your law, the person Saying that is involved in what process? They're writing a scripture. (laughs) Correct? You would want their eyes open to understand God's law because they're going to be writing things in regards to it, yes? Does he not write things about God's law in the Psalms? Yes. 
So is that a possible way? I, I don't know. Let's, let's see where else they go on to say. All right. Open my, I say, these are not new revelations, but things which have been written and revealed long before and just now understood by the reader. All right. Now, and again, they apply that to the reader. What does Psalm 119.18 say? Open my eyes. My eyes. That is the person writing saying, open my eyes. He's not saying, reader, pray that God would open your eyes. We've got to at least make sure we understand the my there is referring to the one writing, yes? Okay, we have to at least understand that. Let, let, let's continue. In a similar way, look at verse 73. What do you see in verse 73? Psalm 119, 73. Give me understanding to learn your commands. 15 times, I believe, in Psalms. I believe it's 15 times. I believe it's 15. No, uh, fi- yeah, 15 times in Psalm 119, there's some prayer for understanding, some prayer for understanding, some prayer for learning. Okay, all right, all right. So now again, we, do, we, do we have, does anybody got a study Bible or anything that gives any indication of who the possible author is of Psalm 119? If, if, do this, just do a Google search and say, who wrote Psalm 119? Just do that. We'll play that game. We'll do this. Just to see if we get any, because Bobby just made an interesting comment that could be, could be very important to this. Just look anywhere, any, anything. You can look at anything. Ask Siri, Alexa, I don't care who you ask. Call a friend. Walk, go find, get in your car real quick and go drive to another church and just run in and scream, who wrote Psalm 119? And then come back and tell me what they said. Right? However you want to get the information. Okay. All right. David, Ezra, Daniel. All right, let's go with all three. Bobby made an interesting comment about David. David found him in a lot of situations where he didn't know what to do and his life was in danger and there were threats and he, he probably was asking for all kinds of understanding. Agreed? And God gave him what kind of understanding? Special information. Agreed? Right? How about Daniel? I think he found himself in some difficult situations, yes? How about Ezra? What do we know about Ezra? A what? I think he would need a special understanding in God's law. Wouldn't he have a requirement to be able to do that? All right. So is it possible that those prayers were answered, but answered in a way different than it would be for us today because it was prior to the conclusion of what? This, and it was a time when God was doing what? Revealing and giving understanding in very special, specific ways. Remember one time in the Bible when God, a hand appeared and wrote something on a wall? Remember when God gave the Ten Commandments, supposedly written by his own finger? Those are, do you remember a time that he spoke to someone from a burning bush? 
Okay. Or yeah, I was gonna, I was getting ready to get to that one. To a, to a donkey talking, Balaam, right? I mean, there's some very specific times, Do, and those times were understanding given. Yes. But I don't believe that that's the way it works today. Now, I, again, I'm going to get all kinds of pushback and all kinds of pushback. But guess what? You can push back and guess what I'll just say? Well, God gave me illumination that you're wrong. And guess what? How do you argue against me? You're going to claim, no, my illumination says these verses are applicable today. And I'm going to say my illumination says they're not applicable today. Who's right? Now, what do I have uh, what what do I have on my side? Here's what I have on my side. I know Psalm 119 was written during a time when the canon wasn't closed. I know Psalm 119 was written during a time when God was giving all kinds of special revelation and understanding that I know he's not giving today. Agreed? That's what I have on my side. I have a historical and textual argument for it. Their argument simply is, well, it says it. It has to be applicable today. Well, and then what, what would be another thing I would have on my side? I got one big thing on my side here. There you go. If, if this is true, then why is there so much disagreement? Because if Bobby and I both have the same Holy Spirit, both illuminating both of our minds and opening our eyes so that we can understand God's word, you would think that spirit would lead us to the same conclusion. Right? That would be... What? Oh, it was a very good argument for the Catholic Church. But the Catholic Church makes that argument like, no, the only one he's given information to is us, and you submit to us, and then you'll know the right thing. And we're like, no, that's ridiculous. I am not going to listen to some pope claiming that he knows, because I know. (laughs) Right? I said, I said, Pope Francis, it's Pope Goodlett. It's Pope Bojana, right? Okay? And we already, well, I know Sarah's back there. No, I'm the real Pope, so all of you just stop. We all know that I'm the real Pope. I'm the real Pope. I've got the book. Okay? She's got the book. It's been declared. And there's going to someone online going, no, how dare you have a female Pope? She can't say anything. What does she know? Right? Okay? Okay? She's got the book, and she'll hit you with it. Okay? But you see, so I'm saying I've got at least a reason to argue against some of this. But they're not done. They're not done. They're not done. They're going to keep going. All right, here we go. One passage that sometimes stirs controversy regarding elimination. I think all of these passages stir stir controversy. Look, I'll make sure it's clear. I am having a little bit of fun, but I want to make sure you understand. I do understand these verses are a little difficult because when I read it, I want to believe that I can just say, Lord, open my eyes and give me understanding. And then I read my Bible and I'm like, dun, dun, da-da, I have understanding. I I believed that for a long time in my early Christian life. And then as I got older, I realized some of my previous understanding was incorrect, and I'm like, well then, how could it have been incorrect? Remember, I was a Lutheran. 
I believe baptizing a baby made it a Christian. I prayed that God would open my eyes and give me understanding. Then I rejected that. I was a firm holder to lordship salvation. And, I'd realize, and then when I started studying Catholicism, I just realized it's a Protestant version of Catholicism. I'm like, wait a minute, that, I don't, I'm not a Catholic. I believe in imputed righteousness. Okay, well, but guess what? I prayed that God would open my eyes and give me understanding. I was far more in the all-millennial camp than I am today. I prayed that God would give me. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, why couldn't you just get it right the first time? Well, I, I, I don't know. Blame the Holy Spirit. Don't blame me. Blame the Holy Spirit. And there'll be people listening going, wait, 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 wait. You moved from that position? You're wrong. Well, wait, wait. Well, so oh, I got to go back to that position. Well, everyone will, no matter what, no, you can turn on a mic. I know this. Turn on a microphone and say anything about scripture and someone will tell you you're wrong. Preach any sermon and someone will tell you And it will be people claiming that they have illumination from the Holy Spirit. You see why I have, there's just no way this is happening today. It's just no way. And and people say, God is not the author of confusion. Well, something's seriously wrong. So are you ready for the verse that they think is the controversial one? Gospel of John. Here we go. John 14, 26. Y'all know this one, right? John 14, 26. Tell me what it says. Some translators say the counselor. Some translators say the comforter. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, first and foremost, if that, if that, ver- that verse should be easy to figure out, right? Because it says, I will teach you, but what else does it say? That last part. Whatever I have said to you, whatever I have said to you, whatever I, you may want to circle that, whatever I have said to you, this limits who this is talking about. Has has God been walking around talking to you? Oh, but he was walking on earth for three years and he talked to a group of men quite frequently, did he not? Who were those men? The disciples. And what did many of the disciples go on to do? Write scripture. And if we want the scripture to be true, we would need to be the one guiding the process to lead them into what kind of things? All truth so that all scripture is true. All right? Does that make sense? So I don't know why this is controversial. You know why it's controversial? Because Christians want to claim it for us. All right? Christians want to claim it for us. Well, I went to to too many Bible colleges and seminaries. Kids, people failed their test. Do you see how ridiculous? The Holy Spirit is going to lead me into all truth and you fell a test in seminary? Don't you see how ridiculous that is? Well, what would be the one place he should be guiding us into all truth? 
and seminary and Bible college where you're studying God's word. And you would see kids praying before the test. And they would fail. You were like, it didn't work. When I worked at Pearson and at the testing center, and people would come in for testing for all kinds of things. We, we tested for uh, different uh, tests for nursing, all kinds of different things. They would come, you would see people come into the testing room because we had to monitor them. And sometimes they would write on uh, a top of their test, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Some of them would be making the sign of the cross. You know, I think they were doing Hail Marys. They were doing whatever. They're praying, 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 praying. And guess what? You would see them come back because guess what? All of that prayer did not do anything well exactly yeah you have to study but so but the idea is but god will bring back to memory everything that i studied it doesn't work that way if it did every christian teenager would be malvictorians and i've known many atheist kids heard the valvictorian and the christian kid is at the bottom of the class It, it doesn't work that way. I wish it worked that way. Oh man, I wish it worked that way. You know how easy it would be to, to, preach, to preach sermons? I could just stand here. I, you know, God will bring back to memory everything in the, in the Bible. I could just sit here and Bobby could just say, Psalm 4, and I, blah, 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 blah. No, I can't do that unless I try to memorize the entire Bible. So I don't, that one to me is not controversial at all. I don't, to me, the other ones are more, the ones in Psalm is more controversial. That one's not controversial in any way, shape, or form. All right? That is referring to the disciples and the process of inspiration that would give us the Bible. So I don't, John 14, 26 is not even controversial. Now, we've got one more. Oh man, we're out of time. We're going to have to stop there. All right. I just want you to hear this. The purpose of illumination, are you ready? Is an accurate and academic understanding of God's word. Wow. Well, if it's an accurate academic understanding of God's word, and God is the one giving the illumination to anyone who is saved, then all Christians should believe the same thing. This work is not happening. So how do I gain understanding of God's word? Okay. I'm going to go remember what Augustine did, and a lot of people don't know how Augustine did it. Before you ever pick up a Bible, you learn to read. You learn words, right? You learn words. You learn the meaning of words, right? And you lead to, learn to read. You learn reading comprehension. It's all of that learning about reading usually before you ever touch a Bible. The quality of that learning will be very instrumental in the quality of your handling of this. The better you are at interpreting any kind of written material, or you're just, your, your ability to interpret anything. Can you interpret a movie? Can you interpret a song lyric? Can you interpret, your ability to interpret will greatly be instrumental in your ability to interpret the Bible. And then then there are, remember the basic rules? Everybody should understand this. 
What's the first instrumental thing in, in understanding Scripture? Is observation, 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 observation. The quality of your observation determines the quality of your interpretation. Poor observation, you end up with poor interpretation. Remember I made such a big deal about the outline for Jude? I made a huge deal about it, right? Huge, 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 huge deal, okay? Made a big deal out of it, even though people may have disagreed with me. I stood my ground because I believe there's a correct way to interpret it. And then guess what happened days after we had kind of that back and forth and there was some disagreement. I go home and all of a sudden there's this sermon spreading all over the internet. I'm like, what's going on? In the sermon, the pastor says homosexuals should be lined up against a wall and be shot in the back of the head. And I'm like, what is going on? And that church is, well, not too far from here. And I'm like, this is insane. And so we reviewed the sermon on the podcast. Oh, and guess what book he quotes from? Jude. And guess what he does? He makes no distinction between the reminder and the description of the false teachers. In fact, he describes the, all the false teachers as basically being the sodomites that's found in Genesis. It's a horrible, horrible interpretation. And you know why the interpretation is so bad? Because the observation was so bad. He didn't draw a distinction where a distinction has to be made because if you group it together, it turns into a mess. That's why I'm so sometimes dogmatic and argumentative about our outlining. Because our outline is, what is the outline? It's the number one tool for what? Our observation. If we mess up our observation in any way, shape, or form, what falls apart? Our interpretation. So you have observation, interpretation, and then application. That's how it works. And guess what? 99% of Bible study is what? Observation. Everybody thinks it's interpretation. Everybody thinks it's interpretation. No, 99% is just reading and reading and trying, outlining and going, okay, that is that, and that is not that, and that's not the same, and that's different, and, that, and not trying to do any interpretation. The minute interpretation enters into your observation, you've messed everything up. That's why I'm so dogmatic about it. It's not some supernatural spiritual work where you're giving some great insight by God. It's the, it's the hard work of sitting down with a Bible, a pencil, and a notebook and spending hours in observation and then start the process of interpretation. I wish it was like, nope, I just pray. God opens my eyes and boom, it all makes sense. Don't you wish it worked that way? I do. Now, Stacy's probably like, I wish you would stop. Well, okay, all the kids are done. I'm being told I'm done, okay? <laughs> all right, that's funny. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. This is a very important subject that I'm very passionate about because I feel that we want to claim some special power, some special revelation, some special illumination where it doesn't exist. And the proof that it doesn't exist is all around us. It's in this church. It's in me. It's in everyone listening to me because we have proven in the past how wrong we were in our interpretation and we'll probably prove in the future that we may be wrong about this interpretation. So Lord, help, it, help this humble us 
and give us a desire to work harder and not make claims that are absolutely provable to be false. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,